10, 69, 16, 666? No. Well, I mean, we were talking snow pre-show, so I think that number is appropriate for the, for the White <laughs> Devil. Um, but we will pretend otherwise. Uh, and you'll be listening to this in February unless something goes off the rails and we have to air it early. So maybe the snow will have passed you, dear listeners. But in the meantime, <clears throat> let's pretend we're professional. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi. We're professional, right? We've done this before. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans, it's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we're going to introduce you to the infamous Mr. Quincy J. Allen. So can you please tell us a little bit about yourself, kind sir? I certainly can. Uh, so my name, obviously, as you heard, is I'm Quincy J. Allen. I bill myself as a cross-genre author. I've been doing this since 2009 when I was laid off from IT. Uh, never looked back. Glad I didn't. Um, I've written a ton of short fiction. Uh, I've written novels in steampunk fantasy, uh, mill sci-fi, a uh, few other things, but I really, I, my short fiction is all over the board. So it, it's been an interesting, wild ride, living the dream, really. <laughs> hey, I like genre fluid authors. They're fun because I know I can always find something I'm into reading with them. And I am that, right? It, it's, it's, it's a trick at the con. What do you like to read? And I can, you know, and they say, well, I like this. I can pretty much hand them a book or a short story collection. Oh, that's in here. So buy this now. <laughs> it works. I have several books from that sales. <laughs> Live in the dream. Granted, I've done that to myself too so, at Barnes and Noble. That's the trick. Yeah, I couldn't work at Barnes and Noble. I'd end up owing them money at the end of every pay period. That wouldn't work well. Well, that was obviously before I needed the, the ebook so I can magnify the hell out of it. But anyway, the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we first found them. So I actually first became aware of uh, Quincy through uh, friend of the show, Mark Allen Idleheit, who uh, who writes some pretty cool Roman stuff for the history nerd and me. Uh, and then sort of I've been aware of him. But Doc talks about him a lot. Um, so, Doc, how did you first find him? What bar did he stumble into? Uh, 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 I don't know. I'm I onto your tricks. I've known Quincy so long. It, it's been a while. Probably. I mean, I'm going to guess the the Wordfire booth. It might be before that. I, but I think that's where we first met. And then we we were like, we need to get drinks later. And so that's what we did. Yes. So, yeah. Well, that would be then uh, the, ho mm. uh, the hotel, the bar, the, the, the freaking. The, uh, the uh, Dragon Con, the the bar, the 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 the, the writer. It was the Bane Bar that we went. I, I think also. Oh. No, well, no, that would have been a couple years later because I didn't get dialed into Bane till later. No, it was def. It was. It had to be the. What's the name of that damn hotel? Weston. Yes. So See, I've never. I, up until this year, I never got, went to the Weston Bar because I was always doing things in other places. So I think it's. We agreed to get. She broke the internet with her smusing. Yeah, so this time it, was, it wasn't me. I swear to God, it wasn't me. I, I was never in aisle seven. <laughs> did you try turning it on and turning it off again? Or did I get that backwards? I could get out and figure push. the IT and you would appreciate it. 
Yeah. <laughs> so while we're waiting on her, I noticed a lot of tools in the background. So what are you building? Rocket ship? Uh, well, so it's it depends on the, well, I'll say the week. Um, I actually do some carpentry. I built a second shed because I needed a place to do sanding. I do leather working. Um, I make actually knife sheets. I actually made some tank covers for my motorcycle, one of my motorcycles. Um I, and I'm uh, sort of a hands-on. I do electrical. I do it all. So it's it's oh, we lost her. Oh my god, it wasn't me. Rebooting. So um, we'll, we'll kill some airtime. We're good. You bet. But but the the focus right now has been learning to do leather working specifically for sheets, um, and that's in preparation okay. for my next hobby, which hopefully in the next year or two is going to be uh, knife and sword making. Um, that's oh, I, that's my goal. Okay. I'm not there yet. But I figured I'd start with the easy part. Leather working is fairly straightforward, and you don't need a lot of tools. Or if you do, they're small and very inexpensive. Doing like forging Damascus steel is a different proposition. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm just sort of an all-around handyman. Um, I can fix almost anything. So, I can also break almost anything. <laughs> There's something I'm good at. So how long before you're on the first episode of Forged in Fire and someone is saying, it would kill? <laughs> I am hope So it's funny you mentioned that. That's really kind of what got me into this. I'm like watching these guys. I'm like, I can do that, which is how I got into making anthologies years ago. I can do that. Um, <laughs> so give me three years. And if they're still producing that show, then I think I got a shot. And I know exactly what right. I'll buy with the $10,000. I want my own big blue. Because... Hitting metal with a hammer with your arm is going to suck. <laughs> I knew an armsmith and who also did swords. His forearm was bigger around than my neck. <laughs> they end up looking like a one-armed Popeye, right? They got this great big man. No, he was arm. ambidextrous. He literally learned to be ambidextrous because he didn't, he didn't want to be lopsided. Because <laughs> yeah, then you look like a freak or you look like the... Uh, what is it? Extraordinary League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Or Mutant Popeye. Is the well, there it is, right? Yeah, you get one great big arm, and then the little one's creepy, really. <laughs> then you get the one side of your neck where the muscles just pop because you're leaning a certain way, and the other one it looks underdeveloped. I've yeah, seen and then if someone surprises you, you break your own neck. So, Doc, you were telling us. You were telling us you met him at a bar, or was it a recovering AA meeting? We don't quite know. Is there anything you wanted to add now that we've got you back and your internet is not killing you? Um, I don't know. I know we always hang out at the Fantasy Gather at Dragon Con, and yes. we always have a lot of fun. Yeah, pretty much. It's always been a blast. You know, and then we've connected to Liberty Con as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I because you've done those. With, you don't really get out and past much of the East Coast stuff, do you? I mean, no, Liberty I, I Con being East Coast. <laughs> I really want to get to more cons, okay. but uh, the last year that I had four cons definitely scheduled, the world shut down. Right. Same so, thing to me. Uh, much momentum. So I'm, I'm kind of sitting here and going, maybe I'll, I'll just accidentally do four, and then we'll see about scheduling that again. There you go. Yeah, you can just show up. You bring the party. Uh, I try. You succeed. Ask anybody. So the nice thing is I live in Atlanta where we have tons of conventions that just come to us. And one of the worst highway systems ever. Second only to Dallas. What? Oh, don't even, oh, don't play. Of... You know, you know. <laughs> you mean 
No, I actually had an NCO who looked at me and told me, oh, you're driving Atlanta? Let me see you driving. He goes, oh, you'll be good on a convoy. You can drive. (laughs) (laughs) Driving in Atlanta to drive in a war zone is what There it is, right? Follow the guy in front of you and make sure that you don't stop. Just don't stop. And dodge the IEDs. I didn't get that part right. (laughs) So before we move on to the religion questions, which Doc loves to ask, uh, so you, you go to a lot of cons. So if someone met you at a con and they wanted to say, you know what? I liked your book so much. Let me buy you a drink. What are you drinking? We're trying to get alcohol to sponsor us. So far, no luck, but we're going to keep going. So I'm going to dedicate it to our so First off, can I show a label? Do you care? Yeah. No, we don't care. Yeah. No, we don't care. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I've heard of this. It's an Irish whiskey. It's um, nice. It's good and salty. So I do like Writer's Tears. I just recently discovered it. I think at Liberty Con a couple years back. I finally got a bottle of my own. I like it. So that so yes, I keep two bottles so it's of not booze just a in my shop. Pardon? No. I thought it was good. a gimmick that people have just to have on display. No, it's Tears actually it's a good whiskey. Um, no, it doesn't taste like dirt. The gimmick is the the water bottle my brothers put out that said here. Add your tears so she can make more. <laughs> okay. That was right, the real deal. And then I also have so I also like this is so I also like this is Avalor, a, a Highlands Scotch only. Can you see that? Is that there? There it is. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, although having so I was a Scotch drinker when I lived in Colorado. Moving to the South, God, four years ago now, I discovered bourbon. Never really drank it before nice. moving here. There, you guys have you can't swing a dead cat without hitting bourbon around here. Um, and have fallen in love with a number number of them. I would recommend if you're looking for a sponsor, Boone's Bourbon. Boone, yeah, Boone's. They actually distill it in um, the coastal city south of Myrtle Beach. It's getting old sucks so bad. Charleston. Um, Yes, thank you. No. <laughs> yes, yes, Charleston, the word that is in my brain, but I can't reach because there's gunk in the way. Anyway, um, they, they brew it there. I actually met, met the distiller, and it is a really good bourbon, um, and then a, a bunch of others. But those guys are looking to sort of expand and grow, and, and it, it's a taste one. I like it a lot. Not to be confused with Boone's Farm, people. Not exactly. Different animals altogether. One is really good, Boone's bourbon. One is... Not so much. I, uh, my new right now favorite is, and um, I'll bring some to con next time I see you. But okay. this is going to be like in the flask, the special flask where it's you can try some, but I'm not sharing this with everybody, right? Um, because it's the it's Breckenridge bourbon that's been aged in rum barrels. Oh, I bet you that's got a nice Ooh. little sweet sort of thing. To yeah, work. it's got the sweet, but it's not sugary sweet taste yeah. that kind of balances out that bite that uh, a bourbon will have yes i am totally down with that yeah so i am at the point just, in my life where i finally oh go ahead no i just said i'll drink just he, he about something. He, me too and i was always buying the cheap stuff because why not but i'm not drinking just to get drunk anymore like i did in the army so i'm like you know what it's time to buy the good stuff because it's not like i'm going to kill it all in a day so exactly. pay for a little better quality so if you if you like scotches and I can I can turn you on to some of those a couple of bourbons certainly I will say this if you have if you're fortunate enough to have a Costco with the liquor store in it near you 
they're yes. um they have a liter bottle of 12 year old kirkland scotch it's actually mccallum and that is the wow. best scotch buy you're gonna find i guarantee it no wait a minute. i have a bottle of 14 year old glenn levitt oh that's good i love that stuff i've had some stories with that stuff so you've had some the, stories uh, so for anybody I have. So for anyone that ha had stock in Miller and, and Anheuser-Busch, I am sorry your stocks went down, but I stopped drinking that stuff. So <laughs> we, we had a we had a bad breakup. I had to try better quality. Uh, that's what happened to me with Yukon Jack. Mm -hmm. So there's some know. of them that used, that used to be rot gut that are actually have gone up in quality. I remember when I was in college, there was this Russian vodka. It's like Schlostex. It's like a, a bunch of vowels and letters smashed together that started with an SCH. That's a, a vodka that was like, you could get like a gallon of it for like five bucks. It was the crap stuff that, you know, somebody was brewing in their bathtub. And I went back to the liquor store the other day and it was like, oh, that's the top shelf stuff. I'm like, since when? <laughs> it's from Kremlin. It's good. Must be good. From Kremlin. You buy, you drink. Or something. <laughs> or something. All right, Doc. It's all you. You can say this for ourselves or dive off the, uh, off the barrel. Uh, I am very glad to say that I think I started with standards. I thank my parents. Um, so, <laughs> but on to religion. Right. So, Escape from New York, Edge of Tomorrow, or Interstellar? Okay, that's an easy answer. Escape from New York, hands down. I wanted to add that has anybody actually watched the new um so chris pratt just did a sci-fi movie the tomorrow war not yet so you don't really need to waste your time um <laughs> first off it's pretty much i had they they took the the edge of tomorrow script modified it added some really cool special effects but it, if you have nothing to do for two hours on a Saturday afternoon, I'll go ahead and watch it because it's fun. Yeah. They they blow poop up. Um, but does he keep his clothes on? Yes, completely. And then not worth it. Dad and a high school teacher. Not worth it. I'll rather watch The Witcher. Huh. Right. Uh, but no, Escape from New York. Are you I'd gonna need a moment, Doc. Is my hero. Pardon? Doc, are you gonna need a moment? She gets a little worked up when she thinks about The Witcher. So I just make sure gonna be guys. single. <laughs> totally out of my league. But did you see that? You did know. you see that meme that's floating around Facebook? Yes. For everyone who needed to hear this, you don't have a chance with Jason Momoa. <laughs> Says you. No, I don't. <laughs> that's so funny funny. I didn't know why they popped up, but now we know. He's, He's really apparently funny. very sweet. I have a friend who used to deal with them at Dragon Con Security and um he was always the security guy because that's my out. understanding as well. No, but he he had a bad habit the first several times he came to conventions of forgetting his badge. <laughs> and and so she would have to look at him very nicely and tell him to go get his badge. Newbie. <laughs> right. But it was like a multi-year right. thing. <laughs> but she's like, he's just you so sweet and nice. So um, but yeah, no, uh yeah, Momo is definitely uh, he and Cavill are competing. One plays D and D, one plays Warhammer Forty K. Neither one are married. 
Okay. All right, we're gonna shoot for the sky. We're gonna clip this and send it to him and be like, "You both have a shot. You just gotta fight each other for her honor." (laughs) (laughs) I actually would if I could get their email. You know what? I could bet I could dig that up. I'm getting pretty good at stalking people for this podcast. Things you should probably not admit in public, Jr. (laughs) For the podcast, I qualified. It's called research. No, no, no. It's just research. Job-related investigation. Podcast detective work. There it is. See, it's all a matter of the words you choose. Okay. I'm all about self-talking now. Yeah, okay. So saving us from, well, ourselves. (laughs) How about Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, or The Tenth Kingdom? Peter Pan. That's the one with Robin Williams, right? I'll let you pick. No, this is a 2003 version, but if you like okay, the Robin so Williams version. so I just dated one, I, myself. I like the Robin Williams version. Yeah, so I, I'm just going to go with that, the Robin Williams version of Peter Pan, because I don't think I, – I saw Alice in Wonderland. I'm not a big fan of the lady who plays the queen in that. Um, okay. You know, I, but Peter Pan, yeah, Peter Pan, but with Robin Williams because I can do that. Yeah, Have you no. even watched The Tenth Kingdom? Have you guys seen that? I love The Tenth Kingdom. It was a lot I of fun, but it's very long. I have not. It yeah, was I watched it when it was on TV. And I had, I had at one point in time the VHS from when they were selling it. I have it on DVD. It was a lot of, it was a lot of VHS tapes, I'm just saying. So wait, The Tenth Kingdom, if it's on VHS, that's that's got some miles on it. How old is it? I got to look that up now. 2000. It is 2000. It's two- okay. So it was right at the cusp where... Yeah, the VHS was the out and... as the the industry yeah. was forcing us to buy yet another medium, I had to buy the white yeah. album again. Yeah, those bastards. Wait, what? She's laughing at us. She's just laughing I... at us. It's okay. I don't blame her. That's fine. I'm not a crazy about we the have some Guns N' Roses. I have some of the Guns N' Roses on, on uh, cassette and on um, CD, so I get it. Oh, should we hashtag this the one where JR proves he's old? I, mean, I don't think that was ever in question. Cassettes. I mean, one day I'll be old and wise and mature as you, Doc. One day. You'll never get as wise or as smart. Pretty sure I got you both beat, at least on the miles part. That's fine. We've done the math. JR is actually older, but his mom likes me best. <laughs> she does. She does. I think I am like one year and three days older than her. No, wait a minute. Three three days less than a year. That's how this works. No, 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 no. no. It's a year and three days. I went to I'm public school. People don't hold it against me. <laughs> yes. I don't know. JR going to be counting that on his later. <laughs> So, but the teacher swore I could, wouldn't have a calculator with me, so I need to get my abacus. Wait, I have a, I have one here. They said that I wouldn't have a calculator, but now I have one. I know. They lied to me. I know. Our whole life was a lie. I know. You want me to ruin one more thing from your childhood? Yes. Roadrunners are actually slower than coyotes. But they're smarter. I I don't know that really. I don't know about roadrunners. <laughs> I have no idea. My sister told me that because I always figured out the math problem before she did. Uh, Google yeah. it, people. I was an English major or not. 
So history, so I get it. Hey, my English teacher would I'm be shocked at what I do now. So <laughs> she'd be like, "Oh my god, it actually worked! I taught her something." Um, so, what was your first love, though? Sci-fi or fantasy? That's an easy one. Sci-fi. Um, I didn't really discover uh, fantasy till years later. Um, I was a kid. My brother, who will probably come up with this conversation later, um, he introduced me to, uh, maybe you remember these or you've seen them, the Science Fiction Hall of Fame from the 70s. Yeah. He gave me, I think it was volume four. And I read the whole thing cover to cover a few times. I think it had Flowers for Algernon in it. It had uh, Repent Harlequin Said the TikTok Man by Harlan Ellison. So, you know, basically it was the, the, the greats from the 60s and 70s of science fiction. And I fell in love. It was, it was absolutely instant love. Up till then, I'd been reading Jupiter Jones mysteries. You probably don't remember those. Um, and <laughs> right, they were like the, 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 what do you call it? The Hardy Boys mysteries. I jumped straight from I hate reading into adult SF. So. Oh, there you go. Um, so a lot of those like juvenile, like uh, it, younger, young children's books and juvenile ones, I was like, eh, I totally missed them because I was already, by the time I got interested, I was already reading like Anne McCaffrey, yep. Jody Lenine, um, what, uh, Robert A. Heinlein, David Weber. So now that I, I, I was reading, and I discovered McCaffrey, uh, <laughs> that was, she was one of the first on the fantasy side. See, I discovered McCaffrey, from thanks to McCaffrey, I discovered my favorite poet. Really? She, she quoted him, and I went to a librarian, and I went, where's the rest of this poem? I need it. Do you remember what poem was it? That was uh, the it, too. Actually, so I do. Do I do remember what poem it was. It was If by Rudard Kipling. Okay. So, yeah, he's another favorite. Because it was in the public domain. It was in it was public not domain, in the so they could use it. No, because she only used yeah. a clip, clip of it, and she said it was from Kipling. Yeah. So I knew it was Kipling. No, but his his work was old enough, is what I'm saying. Yeah, it didn't matter. She was using enough, and she cited it. It wouldn't have mattered if it was public domain or not. She only used, like, three lines yeah. of a 20-line poem. Get the right IP lawyer, and they could argue that. But we're not here to talk about that. That's the But... Um, so you mentioned uh, your first experience with so mature. Your first experience with uh, with sci-fi and fantasy was with the, yeah. the sci-fi your brother gave you. Before the books, though, were there any movies, shows, games, anything like that that exposed you to the genres? Uh, I was pretty well entrenched in the original. Well, in that era, it would have been uh, Battlestar Galactica. Of course. Well, you know, Star Wars. I was part of that generation, but I was actually reading sci-fi before star wars really hit so really it was you know okay. not more than a couple of years um but it was the reading that then when those when those showed up i was like yeah give me more so you know buck rogers battlestar galactic star wars oh space 1999 does anybody remember that right. i do i do right. with the woman who could like transform into different animals but she was an alien but she transformed into owls I, you know so that was a thing. Plot holes are, are common in, in, in that era of television, but you know nobody questioned it because they didn't. Well, that's know they because could. the plot holes were kind of there to cover like inefficiencies with 
as uh, special effects. Right. There's only so much we can afford to do, and owls are cheap apparently. <laughs> And, and there also weren't um, internet forums where people could complain to their heart's content and find every other malcontent just like them. So most of the time, your family would be like, shut up already. I don't care. And you'd have no one to you know, develop. Actually, in our with. family, it's, I'm sorry, do you want me to turn it off? No. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> yeah, there was some of that in my house, too. <clears throat> A lot of it. Yeah, you got to be the point where if, if you read enough and you watch enough, you can start predicting where things are going. And everyone would tell you, like, no, you can't. And then you'd get to a something, and they'd be like, all right, shut up, JR. Because <laughs> you'd be breaking it before it happened. I'm like, in about 10 minutes, based on, you know, standard run times, this is what's going to happen. And they stopped yeah. uh, letting me talk during shows after that. <laughs> I still do that. Because there's formulas to everything, crazy. especially, you know, especially, you know, genre fiction where you either got the TV where it's limited by hours or by pages. For, for most of the time before ebooks and how many so. commercials they have to slip in also a thing uh, and you can tell if you watch some of the uh, dvd box sets where the commercials were because it blacks for a second and then it keeps going like just weirdly blips yes so <laughs> jr <ruins> everything <laughs> that should, maybe maybe that'll be a thing we'll start it as a as a separate episode wrong but uh so what is it you love about speculative fiction as a genre um so even as a kid, it's that exploration of philosophical conundrums, right? I mean, that was a lot of what the the early greats in sci-fi did, um, and what Star Trek over the generations, most of the time, did with a lot of hand waving. Um, but I always enjoyed that exploration, right? It's okay taking a, a social construct and extrapolating it to either it's best or it's worst. And then having the, the characters evaluate the value, um, either in the positive or the negative, um, that's always fascinated me. Um, and one of the reasons I do like Star Trek, despite its flaws over the past 50 years, um, right? It, it, but it's, they, 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 for the most part, with a couple of glaring exceptions, J.J. Abrams, have tried to stay true to that, um, which is which still appeals to me. Um, I really do like the idea of of sort of exploring what life would be like, will be like, on um, we see in in any social right. What like if you really amp it up, dial it to eleven, and and slap people in the face with it like it's a haddock. Um, I like that's a Monty Python joke for those who ever watched it. Um, or was it a halibut? Anyway, it was I a halibut. Right, I think it was a halibut. Um, but that was the thing that really tuned me in. Um, because I was kind of a precocious kid, um, a recovering Catholic, and right. So you know, I, I so I actually asked a Catholic priest two questions. I said I asked one. Why aren't there dinosaurs in the Bible? That doesn't jive because I was reading about dinosaurs before I was reading science fiction. He said, "Don't ask that question." Wait, what? And then I asked. It was he was so there are you know there's shades of gray as far as quality of of we'll say. When I asked that question, the answer I got was that God was focusing on humans and humans weren't around when the dinosaurs were around. Yep, and so when somebody tells me not to ask, I dig my heels in. 
That's what I asked. Uh, so how come there aren't any women priests? Don't ask that question. Hey, man. So, uh, <laughs> hey, man. That, I'd already learned the word sexist. So. <laughs> right. So, so it was, that was a very troubled time for me as a child and my family. And the Catholic church. Right. Yeah. My, my dad Ed, was, he is still Catholic. Anyway, you know, and I'm not only to get down on Catholicism at all, but it was just I got the one priest apparently who gave the wrong answer to the wrong kid. So he burned a bridge. So for, so first, just so you know, when you do talk about the great the and the mighty Python, you do need to affect a British accent. That is required. Uh, or else somebody's going to tell you your mother was a hamster and your father smelt of that. <laughs> Duly noted. That's just the way it is. <laughs> So uh, luckily, I, I don't do accents very well because Doc just giggles and it, it interrupts my flow, and it's just it's a thing. You have flow. Mostly, she laughs at me. Anyway. Wait a minute. Flow, I have game. I don't, but but we'll move on. So, how did you love? Of, don't laugh so convincingly. I was supposed to be like, no, no, that's not true. Uh, how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre transition into you writing stories in that space? Um. Well, so interestingly enough. Most of what I write isn't as speculative as I would have thought when I was a kid, you know, before I really decided to be a writer. Um, and that there's, there's another, it'll come up here probably later, but I didn't do as much, much exploration with a couple of exceptions. Um, as I got older, one of the things that, that really stuck with me as a result of an experience with an uncle from Louisiana who was a drunk and an abuser and a bigot um, was I ended up writing a, a short list of short stories that treated with slavery. Um, those were sort of my notion of speculative fiction. What would the world be like if I wrote a story about actually the, an underground, um, an underwater railroad that goes up and down the Mississippi and the Ohio river. And it, it's, it's one of my favorite stories, but for the most part, um, I was writing pretty much good guys who are judge, jury, and executioner kill all the bad guys generally by severing their heads. That's that's kind of the where I ended up, which is you know, it's one thing I love, but I didn't judge actually Dredd. write that much of it. So, Judge Dredd style stories, yes. Uh, the first book I wrote, Chemical Burn, he kills everybody, and in, in fact. One of the, the, I was in a, a writer's group, a critique group way back when, and there was a woman in the group. Um, I don't think her name was Karen, but um, she actually <laughs> couldn't finish reading it because she thought the protagonist was a sociopath. So, okay. Now I want to read it. Just for but they all had a comment. Um, absolutely. Um, and in the South, we say they needed killing. Yes. Um, yes. So many authors let their own real life experiences sort of influence the way they tell stories and the stories they tell. So are there any specific formidable moments that shape you as a storyteller? Other than Uncle Annoying. <laughs> yeah, other than Uncle Louisiana. Yeah, so that was that was a life moment. Um, from, the, from the writing perspective... Um, I think it's really mostly just what I was watching growing up um, and that idea of really eliminating boundaries, right? 
I mean, that's what science fiction does. It's fantasy. It's fantasy does. We're entrenched in this real world. And I was very much into escapism. Um, and so I think that governed really what I wanted to pursue was things that weren't entrenched in the real as much. Now, I've, I've dabbled in more more real fiction. I've done that a lot with the short fiction it kind of touches on that. But I was much more interested in the impossible. Right. And that's that just it, it fascinates me is, OK, what can I play with next? And that's why I think I got into the cross genre stuff was was taking all of these tropes that I grew up with and mixing and meshing them to hopefully make something unique. OK, so normally we would ask at this point in the interview, because we you know, if dear listener, if you've listened long enough, you realize there's a formula getting to know them as a person, getting to know them as a creator and then diving off the deep end on whatever story we're talking about. So normally at this part of the interview, we would ask, yes, are you okay? Nothing. I'm being sarcastic. Did elderberry jump out at you? Uh, we, we would ask about, you know, your time in military service, but you didn't. But one of the things you did mention in, in some of the pre-show, however, was yeah. that you had a little bit of a history of service in your family, and some of that has affected your writing. So could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, so my brother was, uh, so started as an enlisted man in the 101st Airborne. Um, yeah, right. So he was actually in the seventies. My mom gave gave him a choice: we're going to kick you out, or you can go sign up for the military service. So he signed up. Now he actually went from enlisted all the way up and retired as a lieutenant colonel, uh, as and also an army reservist in Colorado. When I graduated from college, I ended up living with him for a number of years. A lot of backstory there. And a lot of tequila was involved. Uh, <laughs> um, but during that time, so he was in the, the Colorado National Guard, uh, deployed to um, the, the Gulf, both Gulf Wars. He was neck deep with, uh, and I can remember their faces. So I'm going to assume you've seen Apocalypse Now, right? So the uh, Robert Duvall okay. character, the colonel who stands on the beach. Mm-hmm. I think I actually met the guy that character was modeled after. His name was Colonel Howard. Um, played poker with him. I was basically spending a lot of my free time hanging out with my brother who was playing cards and partying with the, basically all the folks from, or a chunk of the folks from the Colorado National Guard. Um, and so in doing so, I got to meet, so there was um, Colonel Howard, Colonel Dissinger, who was, one of the craziest guys I've ever met. He was like this little, if, imagine a dwarf in an army uniform, like like a fantasy dwarf. He was indestructible and he would, he played rugby. He had these these gnarled knuckles. Um, and then there was uh, my brother's- um, I know the type. Yeah, right, yeah, they, they just, they will tackle anything. Uh, and then my brother's staff sergeant, Gordon Miracle, his, his, that was his real name, Gordon Miracle. I actually wrote a short story dedicated to him he saved my brother's life that's one of the stories my brother told me actually saved my brother's soul and so i was i was really although i wasn't part of that group um because i was mark's little brother um i was treated as if i was part of that and i'll use the, the term family there is this i think and correct me if i'm wrong but i always got the sense that there is this notion of um the community within the service they have a different perspective, a different philosophy. And that's what I sort of picked up was they look at the rest of the world differently than the rest of the world looks at itself. Yes, very much so. 
and, and with very good reasons that I sort of began to understand. I couldn't possibly understand it, but I got a sense of what that meant. And one of the things that, that I pulled away from those experiences was something my brother used to talk about, was this notion of clarity of purpose. And when he'd come back from Iraq, he talked about that, the importance of it, because he kind of he came back and he felt kind of lost. And so it was really, and I, and I saw that as kind of a trend in, in talking to these people and really getting drunk with them and playing cards with them, which was great. Um, but it, it, was, it was learning that awareness. It was is getting that, that, that window view into that world that I think made it possible. If I hadn't had that, I don't believe I would have been able to write with the voice I did for the Four Horsemen universe stories that I've written. Um, I think it's, it's having that understanding allowed me to at least in my own capacity mimic that voice. Um, and so far, nobody's called me on it that I know of. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a good experience. Sure. So was your brother uh, Gulf War One or two? No, both. He did both. He did both. Um, he went first. Oh, which was the one that left him feeling lost? Was it the first or the second? Both. Uh, it would have actually been for the, well. So I not think to the get first, deep into it, the first one because he actually was in charge of a medical company, and they went up the road of death. Uh, but I, I think in some ways the first one, as much as pe most people, there are people who will probably disagree with me. I think the first one, in some ways, was a much more obvious one. What people don't realize is that. The largest, in, in 1990, the largest contingent of U.S. citizens living abroad was in Dharan, Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So, and um, which it made it very clear that it, in some ways, because there were American lives, American civilian lives on the line. Yeah. I know um, some of them. <laughs> and, so, oh, yeah. and that goes from when the scuds were coming in, from the time they were right sort of stationed there all the way up um he actually talked about one of the things he lamented was um when they actually entered the desert there was really they they had been issued uh, uh of the right. rifles and pistols but there was no ammo he had like one magazine for his 45 and nobody else had any ammo they actually got um, they were told that there was uh, a division of um the iraqi guard tanks heading towards them yeah. and my brothers he's in charge of this medical company so you know they're they're all medics like we're screwed right so it, it was and he didn't he doesn't talk much about it which i never pushed him on but he that sort of experience that company of people experienced something that most humans will never comprehend right that is uh, something they tell people that work the DMZ between North and South Korea, that they're not expected to live if the North decides to make a push, just to hold the line for 15 minutes. Yeah. So the rest of the forces can be scrambled. Yeah, no, I had, uh, my battle buddy from BASIC went to, uh, went to South Korea for his first duty station, and he called me. He's like, they're telling me my job is just not to die for 15 minutes. I want out of the Army. I'm like, it's too late for that, bud. Yeah, and, and so in that experience, that reality – it must therefore change how you look at the world, how you look at existence. It must. Yeah. Um, and and so as a as a you know younger man, I was in my early to mid twenties at the time, 
even though I didn't experience I experience it, I, I got a sense of what that meant and what it did to people. Right. And it's poignant. It really is. Um, it digs Well, and I think what you're saying is also very real. And sometimes people, we as a country, people forget, but also as a community, the service members sometimes forget just how much what we deal with influences those we love. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and also how isolated the um, the rest of the world is. I mean, they said they've done studies, something like less than than five percent. Last I checked, it was less than five. It could be even worse now. But the divide between those who serve and those who don't has never been greater. One percent becoming almost a familiar career. Is it one? One one percent. Um, so will serve. One percent will serve. That there are more who are willing to serve. Yeah. But and I think that's some of why and. There can be somebody who has a problem with my saying this, but I don't care. Um, <laughs> I, I'm honest. That I think that's a big part of why it's important to allow anybody who can have a healthy life in the military, uh, whether they're it, it, particularly people who are gay, allowing them to serve and leave full healthy lives. Because if only 1% of the population is willing to serve, yes, it, we have a very big population to be 1% of. Yeah. But really, I, I don't think it's fair to limit anybody from what they want just because of who they love. But also, I think it's important that um, resource management wise, let's not cut off our noses. Well, like, I, I, I'm pretty cold in calculating. I'm that person. <laughs> I think the idea of serving your country, right, that doesn't know boundaries. Yeah, right? and there, there are lots of ways to serve. serve. Yeah. So not just the ways that, you know, Leave Jr. and I sleeping at night with pillows, and and don't wake us when yeah. we're sleeping. But my I, think, I think I think that disconnect. I think the disconnect affects both sides. It's it's pretty obvious from the civilian side looking in. You don't understand necessarily the culture, but the other side is from the inside looking out. You don't realize quite how different sometimes they are until you tell that off-color joke and they look at you like. Um, you grow, grew a second head. The first time I quoted some of the cadences we sang at basic training and napalm sticking to people and then people look at me yeah. like I was a sociopath. And I'm like, yes. no, we just march. It's okay. We don't actually do it. So there's, oh. and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that there is a necessity of training where you, you must dehumanize the people across the line. Right. I, at least up to a point, because if you don't, you're going to end up with this notion of. I think it's not necessarily dehumanizing, but reprioritizing as a medic. They used to tell us that the best right. preventive medicine was a good offense. <laughs> so, it, yeah, they, they, they were like, we don't want you to dehumanize anybody, but uh, uh, the best offense, the deep, the best preventive medicine is a good offense. Yeah, the reality is, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, but there's definitely how Lord knows, like, I have two brothers stuck in snow right now. And I'm like, just get a flamethrower. And my parents are staring at me like I am the biggest <laughs> bitch on earth. And I'm like, what? What? Practical solution. I approve. It, so, it would solve two the problem. In, so, so there's, we are not there's going to have a flamethrower about... commercial, though, unfortunately, tonight. Because well, uh, I don't know the company that makes them. But... Elon Musk did. Elon Musk, Elon Musk made a flamethrower. 
No one else doesn't count. He's, he's not normal. He's not normal. He's this not. Is why, that's why I have the bro crush, the bromance. He just doesn't you know, know what? Ah, I'm sure he's going to find out knowing you. There's, there, I think there is something. I mean, I, I've been trying to track him down to get him on the show, but none of my emails go through for some reason. I don't know what that's about. Imagine that restraining order. Yeah. Look, all right. Jer, the Jer, restraining order was just a suggestion. All right. Jer, so uh, please stop snapping. I'm not Pavlov's dog, okay? So uh, Damn it. this is where we. This is where we take a moment and we shamelessly shill for the man. So let's pause for that commercial interlude. Grab your swords and get ready to level up. When gaming journalist Ray experiences a tragic accident with the next generation of gaming consoles, he finds himself stuck in the mystical land of Valka. Trapped in a world filled with magic beasts, warring factions, filthy bandits, and a level system that's out of this world. The only problem is... His only way out may be through. Ray must fight like his life depends on it, because it just may. Survival means victory, and defeat could mean the end. Forever. Legends Online Genesis. Releases on Audible January 7th. Digital and hard copies now available on Amazon. All right. Thank you for sticking with us. We appreciate it. Uh, I, I swear Doc was actually polite and mannered and pretended like she liked me when we were on commercial break. Okay, you can stop laughing. We know that didn't happen. But anyway, let's get back to the questions. And uh, if you didn't know, 44 minutes in, Doc, this is the fandom questions. <laughs> so you ha have you had any cool fan art or anybody cosplay one of your characters yet? So, so cosplay, yes, once. It was at Dragon Con, and I actually had it was a mother and her daughter who Aww. cosplays. No, 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 no. She they cosplays <laughs> cosplayed Lady Dynasty and Skeeter from the Bloodwork Chronicles. Oh my! Yeah. So they did that great. I, there are pictures of it on Facebook somewhere. They look great, right? It's emerald green corset. It was fabulous, really. Um, <laughs> not that I really understand fashion. Um, and then I actually have a fan, and I think you know him. Forgive me, I'm terrible. I, I know his name, it's in my brain, but it's like Charleston. Um, but he and his son, they're like Uber fans that whenever I'm someplace, they show up at Liberty Con, they show up at Dragon Con. Um, really a marvelous couple of guys, the father and son. And they actually uh, have provided, um, his, the son does leather working, so he actually gave me a really kind of cool leather dragon scale sporin. To go with the kilts that I wear. It's oh, wait, I, I've, forward, seen that one. I've seen right. that one. Yeah. It's so, um, are they tactical? Correct. And so that was they, my shtick. Are they tactical? Uh, no, because okay. Utila kilts are cheaper. <laughs> no, no. Was it? <laughs> no, Utila kilts are not cheaper. No, there, so there was an off brand. They were based out of Utah, which is where I got my kilts. Um, except for the I most. I have recent. a Utila kilt. Yeah, and they are more expensive. No, it, it was, I forget. I forget who made them. I haven't bought one in a while, and the ones I have, I'm pretty sure don't fit anymore. Shh, shh. You don't have to admit that. <laughs> right. But we don't talk I think about it. If I put one on, I'd rupture my spleen. Um, yeah. So, but, but yeah, those guys are great. Um, they bring booze, too. But more importantly, they actually made some cool leather work to send us some really neat work, and which is actually kind of what got me turned into doing my own leather work. Was was being you know meeting them and and their enthusiasm, which is always a great you know rush for any creative writers in particular because we need attention. 
Or so I've been told. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're amazing. Aww. So, what can you tell us about the first time you remember somebody asking for your autograph? All right. So I don't remember exactly the the person or or I the time or the place. No, no. It was, so I do remember the play it was Cosine in Colorado, which is this tiny little con. Oh, I've heard of it. I've heard it's really good. It's kind of a, a micro literary con of sorts, mostly writers with a couple of, you know, a group of the, the, the local fans. So it's it's SM all. Um, but it always treated the people great. It was a great bunch of folks. <coughs> Excuse me. So I had, this was right at the beginning of my writing career such as it is and i'd written a bunch of short stories and a bunch of them had gotten published and i was reading the anthologies that i was getting published in and i'm looking at them i'm like shit i can do this so i decided to become a publisher which in hindsight i'm not well suited to some of the disciplines necessary for that job having said that i had produced penny dread tales volume one which had the very first Jake Lasseter story in it, which went on to become Bloodwork Chronicles. And so at that con, sold a copy and actually signed my first autograph there. And I, I still can remember the feeling of, of absolute imposterism, right? And which, I, so here's the thing, and, and, I, and I've talked to some folks, I still get that. Signing an autograph feels really weird as if I have no business doing it. Right. You know, because I was, you know, I was when I was working for Kevin, I was in the booth, Kevin at Wordfire Press. I was in the booth with Kevin Anderson and Mercedes Lackey and, and you know, freaking I've been in there with um, some amazing, amazing people. Right. Like for me, those are well, those are the real writers. And and I'm this this poser who, you know, is. And, and so I still feel that and that feeling has abated about this much. But it's still weird. I mean, you know, and, and now I, I'll have people come up and they're like, they come back to cons if I'm there to buy the next book. Which, I, you know, that's a milestone for a writer, but I still feel like I don't really deserve it. I think authors suffer from imposter syndrome more than uh, most. Because for one, it, somebody once said it was like the best kind of famous because when you go to cons, they know who you are. Yeah. Uh, in many cases, but there it, there's like no red like you know look at like tom holland or henry, henry cavill they go grocery shopping people know who they are right so the, their sense of um boundaries and privacy is um very fluid if they're <laughs> skewed i think is the word <laughs> skewed is a very good word for that but uh leave it to the wordsmith to find the right one and um so whereas for authors i think it, it's it's great. It's like that. Um, I, that's country song. I know. I know famous people, but you probably don't know who they are because they're only famous in my town. Right. Yeah. It is. It's an odd so. bunch. And and I, I mean, I, I was talking to who was it? Um, one of the big names. This was just a couple years back. Uh, oh, freaking. Um, uh, J. Uh, R. A. Salvatore. He was talking. He was like, "Yeah, I still sometimes feel like I'm a hack, and I don't even know what I'm doing." Um, it, it's it is. I mean, there's a lot of writers, no matter where they're at in their career or how many books they've sold, who still, at least every now and again, get that feeling, right? And it's always the next book you put out. Well, is this going to be a turd? Um, you know, you 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 
ache at night worrying that the next one you put out is going to just go right down the tubes. And I think uh, that's I mean, internal for a lot of them. The academic phrase, uh, publish or perish, <laughs> it, it's, it, it applies to more than just pu academic publishing. That's the truth. That's at true. least in, even if, I mean, you won't perish, but at least it feels that way. Because you yeah, pour yeah. so much of who you are into these things. Well, and, and with the modern age, that's, I think, only gotten more pronounced because so, there can be so much backlash as so with, with any number of things. So with the modern age and the advent of ebooks, we know that this is a always a tricky question. Have you spotted somebody reading one of your books? Um, so I actually haven't. However, it was kind of cool because my, my dad, who when I was younger, he told me that well, you want to be a starving artist the rest of your life. He dissuaded me from being a writer. I got a late start. Anyway, years later, I'd published a, a, like two or three of the novels, and one of them was The Blood War Chronicles. And he called me up one day all excited because he was talking to the nurse in his doctor's office. He's now older than Moses. Um, and, and blind and gimp leg. He's just broken. Anyway, he was like, the nurse has read your book. And so that was the, the, the one experience I've had with somebody where I either didn't sell it or they didn't just respond on Facebook. Where That's it was completely disassociated experience that my book had made it to the real world. That is awesome and amazing. And it's even better that your dad saw that because it drives home just how cool you are. Well, so yeah, the, there is there's backstory there. Like I said, he had that. I grew up with the phrase, "You want to want to be a starving artist the rest of your life." Anytime I said I want to be a writer, and so I didn't actually pursue it until after I got laid off in my early forties, and I actually made the conscious decision. You know what? Considering what I'd become because I was in corporate America and IT, I was a raving asshole. After it's so wild, because I've always you always have funky colored hair and a mohawk at con. <laughs> well, I basically made the decision you know what? I would rather die happy and be a starving artist than keep doing what I'm doing. So it came first full circle, and it was, I think it was an it was a marvelous realization for my dad that, yeah, you know what? I wasn't full of crap all those years. You know, I, I, I may not be the world's greatest writer, actually, I'm not the world's greatest writer. But you know, I can I can turn a phrase every now and again. I I can write a hundred thousand cohesive words that get to a finish line. I can do that. I can write maybe half that in ramble. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I think that you're awesome, and I'm so glad that you your dad got to see that too. That's yeah, that was I think, probably the coolest part of that. But what is your weirdest and or funniest interaction with a fan since you started writing? Okay, so the, it's it changed my life like completely. So Dragon Con, and I think you you know this story. Dragon Con 2016. I had just driven the truck for Wordfire Press cross country. We had parked the truck and gotten into the elevator of the Weston. Um, we're going up to our room, which was part of the deal. And in the elevator, I'm standing there just wearing normal clothes. And beside me, this petite woman is wearing, so I thought she was just wearing the red, old, you know, vintage Star Trek 
blouse and, and skirt. And so being somewhat snarky, I said, well, that's a bold fashion choice. Because, you know, red shirts always die. Now, she had pretty much had that since she showed up at the con, and she'd had enough. So she looks me square in the eye and said, you know what, if I'm going, I'm taking all you, insert colorful word here, with me. And <laughs> all right, then. So immediately was like, okay, that was just a great snappy response. Which, And I remember her walking down, she exits the elevator, walking down the hallway, and she's got these great boots, right? The old Star Trek knee high. I'm like, all right, then. Okay. So the following morning, fast forward, I'm down at Starbucks talking with Kevin. And I'm having a conversation about business and ROI. Apparently, she's on the other side of the the thing. And one of her, um, uh, one of the things she likes is somebody who can talk business. And I was talking about ROI and the cost of books and all this stuff. And I didn't know this at the time, but she was on the other side like, oh, my God, this guy. So I ended up marrying that woman. <laughs> <laughs> so... So be careful who you befriend in an elevator. Yeah, that's where it started. Was I don't think this befriended in the elevator? I think they snarked at each other in the elevator. Yeah, which really defines the nature Potato of our potatoes. personalities. Uh, yeah, Vicky. Uh, so, and then she, as it turns out, um, and her husband had passed away fairly recently. I mean, you know, uh, but she, her friends had begged her to go to the con, and she's like, "I don't want to go." So she went ahead and went with them. One of her friends ended up pushing her at me when I was working the booth because she realizes, oh my God, this guy can write too. She hadn't read any of my stuff by then. So, you know, I don't know. you were safe. I get it. We write like a writer. It's also at that time, the advantage of having spent two years humping 4,000 pounds of books across the country in a van. So I was actually more svelte than I am now. By an order of magnitude. I was in good shape then. I am not now. So I had everything going for me. And it, it and so we spent a few months talking on the phone because we just sort of clicked. We should, we met at the Western Bar. I think it was that Friday night. And we talked for like five hours. And, and that was the beginning of this really neat relationship. And like I said, yeah, I, I ended up marrying that woman. <laughs> So yeah, that happened. So again, be careful on elevators. I'm just saying, you never know where it is. Yes. You know what? There are so many amazing couples that have come out of conventions. It's almost like meeting people with similar interests might help your dating career. So there, there's some truth in that. Ironically, Vicky, until about two years ago, fought the idea that she was a geek. Her whole life, she's fought the idea that she was a geek. Geeks. Nerd. I bet her. She's a geek. She well, may be like one of the cool breed of geeks that could actually blend in with the mundanes, yeah. but <laughs> she, yeah, she's a, she's a geek. She, she can pull off Muggle pretty well. Well, yeah, that was it. She was she can she can play Muggle, but she's not. She's absolutely a so. Card so Doc, normally, when someone quotes quotes things like Muggle, I would tell them to read more books. Uh, but since I know you do, we're going to let that slide. And instead, I'm going to ask Quincy if he could talk about everything he has written. Give us the Reader's Digest highlight. Right. Now, the, the list is long. So if you want to just list by series, that's totally okay. 
I'm gonna I, I am going to concatenate somewhat. That's an IT term for those of you who don't know. Uh, so bunches of short stories, with the highlight being um, I actually wrote what I'm, I'm proud of uh, a short story for Monster Hunter Files for Larry Korea called Sons of the Father, which is really good. Go get that book. We still get royalties on it. It's really good. There's some great stories. I My first novel was right. It's good. My first novel was Chemical Bird, which is sort of a sci-fi action thriller. First time author wish fulfillment. If I could be a six foot six alien with tech and 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 that's what that book was. So it needs a rewrite is all I'm saying. I wrote the three books of the Bloodwork Chronicles, which is steampunk fantasy. I ended up working with the Aradio brothers. I wrote Cult the Outlander, Shadow of Ruin, which is sort of post-apocalyptic sci-fi with bounty hunters and hot chicks. The, the Cult the Outlander originally debuted in Heavy Metal Magazine, which will give you an idea of sort of the feel of that. Enforcer with Kevin Eikenberry, which is actually part of the Four Horsemen Universe property. Uh, and then with Mark Adelheit, I was fortunate enough, he asked me to work with him. Um, we've written, and now it's, so my part is complete. I've written three books for him, Reclaiming Honor, uh, Forging Destiny, and Paladin's Light, which he is finalizing, and it should be out this spring. I'm very excited. It's a coming-of-age story for a dwarf, which I don't think anybody else has written. And Tovak is great. If you hadn't read it, read that because it's really good stuff. I love that guy. Um, and then finally, my 10th novel is Seeds of Dominion, which is part of the Eldros legacy, which is kind of the reason I think you Which guys is why we're here today. Exactly. So we know what we're doing. Yeah. So speaking of books, let's talk about that Seeds of Dominion. So where did you get the premise for this universe? How'd you come up from the idea? Was it psychedelics, the Ouija board, breathing too many too much motorcycle exhaust fumes? A lot of a lot of bourbon. No, so actually, um I had That's an uh, acceptable answer for a writer. It, well, it is well bourbon and whiskey. Um, because I was involved in the Four Horsemen universe. I'd written some short stories for them, and I wrote for with Eikenberry. Um, I had met a guy by the name of Rob Howell, who is now the, he's the, uh, uh, I guess he's a publisher, associate publisher of New Mythology Press under Chris Kennedy Publishing. And he and I, so over the course of a Liberty Con and what they call Factory Con, which is this sort of authors get-together gathering for CKP, um, we started kicking around this idea of... Um, doing with fantasy what Kennedy had done with military sci-fi. A shared world experience with as many authors as we could cram into one IP, which is literally the infinity symbol. Um, and it had actually started with a short story I wrote for, he'd asked me to just write a fantasy story. So I wrote a short story about, uh, it's a it's Relin of Corsia, and he's sort of this traveling fighter mage private detective. And that turned into a conversation about, you know what? Nobody's doing epic fantasy in a shared world like the 4HU. We, we could do that. One thing led to another. And so about six months later, Rob picks up the phone and says, hey, do you really want to do that? And I said, yeah. And so what happened was he actually has had an existing series of books with Edward, I forget his last name, and this place called Shiren. And we took that as the foundation in a lot of ways. We brought in um, 
let's see here, Mark uh, Stallings, who writes for CKP. We brought in Marie Whitaker, who is actually sort of the associate publisher over at Wordfire. And, and she's so sweet and nice. She is the nicest person. She's just a sweetheart. Um, she and I are old friends. I mean, I, I met her through Wordfire, and, and she's awesome. And then we brought I bought, in, hmm? I bought a book that she did on um, on Hanukkah, a children's book. I didn't know she did that. I'm going to have to take a look. That's cool. She She's just a sweetheart. Yeah, I love her. She's sweet. And then we brought in uh, Todd Fonestock, who is a friend of Marie's. He's a, and so Mark, Todd, and Marie all live pretty much in the Denver, Colorado Springs area. Anyway, we got together and we said, hey, we're going to create this thing. And we then spent literally 11 months building the foundation based on um, and tweaking Rob's world and magic system. We each took a continent. Uh, that we would then be sort of the steward of, with the full intention of writing this, there'll be five authors writing a meta story over the course of 10 novels each in the next 10 years that basically is one story. Um, so all these roads will lead to this final conflict. We, we laughingly call it the throwing the ring into Mount Doom moment. Um, but along the way, we're also, so the anthologies, we're picking up authors We've got a list of what we call cohorts, um, Aaron Rosenberg, Jamie Ibsen. Um, the, the list goes on. We've already got uh, Steve Ruskin, um, and I'm, I'm forgetting a bunch that I shouldn't, but, you know, old. Anyway, so and, and so we're going to have this marvelous, exhaustive perspective of this one planet with a, a distinct and singular history that goes back 10,000 years um where essentially giants one ruled once ruled the world and and um and don't anymore and they're they want to again so that's it was this oh you hear that pardon i was just say you hear that doc your people don't rule the world anymore i'm not even that giant so you just need to get over your midget problems <laughs> damn when we met in person, she she is a little bit taller than me, but not by much. But she did make a point to lean down just to make it obvious. <laughs> she's nice like that. I don't have to make I mean, it she obvious. She didn't quite pat me on the head, but I use you but as it, an it elbow rest. Bad. You're a great height for that. Oh, she, she she did. But uh, all right, so before we dig in any deeper, uh, can we take a moment and just glory at the hey, cover? Wait, 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 Jr. Uh, you do know it's a small world oh. after all. It's a small world oh, after. Don't don't sing that. That's copyrighted. Uh, all right, sorry. Apparently, oh. it is my world. Get it straight. <laughs> this is true. This is true. But uh, I don't want to feed into her delusions of grandeur, Quincy. So we're gonna <laughs> hop back up, and we are gonna talk about this glorious cover to quickly change the subject. Can you Thank tell you. me how you came up with this cover? So and I'll, I'll try and keep this brief, but it, it's it, in a nutshell, that cover and, and all of the Eldros covers that we're going to have were at one of the neatest team efforts I've ever had the privilege of being involved in. Um, so we worked with for and in Kyvan and Kilbel, which was the first novel to come out. You'll notice that in all of the Eldros books will have that stone framework around it. It took us several months to get that right with two different artists um getting the the and and in all of this we spent weeks we would meet every tuesday night debating what's the best one what do we want the artist was providing markups mock-ups 
So we went through that process. Then we went through getting the logo right. Three, excuse me, three different authors were or artists. Authors, artists were involved in getting the logo right. What we wanted to do was create something that was, we hope, as compelling as, um, oh, I hate being old. The it's, it's there's it's the fantasy series. It's got the the brown stone logo at the top. It's it'll come to me anyway. By Terry Maggart? No, no. It, oh, not I, Terry I Maggart. Um, sorry, I know who you're talking about. Um, Forgotten Realms. Sorry. Forgotten Realms. Yeah. So, 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 like Forgotten Realms, we wanted to mimic that, but then we also wanted to differentiate uh, each of the books that take place in a continent by a specific symbol. Each continent has its own. You'll notice there at the bottom that green. It's a demon's head. Everybody has a different one there. So there's a there's a rising sun. There's a dragon. There's a castle on fire, there's a scroll, and then the demon's head for Daemonon. Anyway, so there was this, it was, it was probably four or five months of meetings and mock-ups and voting and all this stuff. And then finally we got, um, we actually were able to get, it's, he's a, a, one, of the, one of the artists for CKP. And I had this, I had this vision of the, the demon that shows up at the end. Actually, it's a fragment of a demon. It shows up at the end of the novel. And it's that really is a scene taken from it. And the artist that, that was involved, um, he did just a marvelous job capturing what I had sort of ham-fistedly described. So it's like I said, it was nine, ten months of collaborative effort to get to this. Now, I will also say this. the So whenever you see the title treatments, like the Seeds of Dominion with the green glow, that's me. I do that work. So, so there. Um, and wait till you see the Embers and Ash which is Marie's book. It's the best one yet, but it's, that's one of the things I do for fun is actually doing title treatments and like doing the book layouts and book design. I do that too. Cause that's sort of how I got to start. So that was the reader's digest version. <laughs> all right. So let's move on to the book itself. We so should have had Nick here for that. He could have asked all these crazy insane questions that would have had JR just combobulated. I mean, I've gotten used to rolling with it, but some people are starting to question whether Nick is actually real. I mean, he is kind of a caricature. Yeah, they're starting to wonder if he's the VTuber, and it's just one of us on the side screen. You finally Uh, used the term VTuber. I know. So let's move on to the book itself. So what would an hour and ten minutes in – what would the 30-second elevator pitch, clearly not this episode, but but what would the 30-second elevator pitch be for this novel? Uh, a king's guardian must use swords and sorcery to solve a murder. The clues lead him straight into a demonic plot to overthrow the entire kingdom. So there's that. All right. Doc, now try not to mess it up, but the next question is yours. Bite me, bitch. Uh, so, what is it that? Well, you've already kind of talked about what. Hey, was that an it, offer? I, I, I'm not Harry Cavill or whatever that guy's name is. So I think no, you're a little confused. Fine. Massage my feet. There you go. Now you know where you stand. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not going to ask what makes your series special because you really already talked about that one. Yeah. So, but what do you think really Seeds of Dominion specifically hits on trope wise the best? Um magic the so the magic system we came up with is really cool 
And that's one of the things the readers have, have mentioned is there, there's a couple of things in there where Relin does, as an investigator, does some stuff with magic that I thought was pretty cool and they thought was pretty cool. So um, that's one of the things is how we treat with magic. I mean, the rest is pretty traditional. He's got swords. The bad guys have swords. But the way we use magic is pretty distinct, I think. Um, which, and it's been a lot of fun to play with. Do you have an anti-gravity? Uh, we do not have anti-gravity. You need an anti-gravity spell if only to make Mark Wandry cry. And <laughs> I will see what I can do. <laughs> I will buy you a drink. <laughs> and well, this is, so on the, this is what Doc is good at. She's stirring the shit pot just for the fun the of it. Side, and then she I wasn't able to make Rob Williams, Williams cry. What? what? I, 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 oh, go ahead. No, wait. Go ahead, Jarrah. Jarrah's just commenting Let's that see, I stir is... shit and cause trouble. So I was able yeah, to make Rob and chaos. cry. And that's because I actually have flying whales in it, or at least I will. No, actually, technically I do. But that's a different subject, which is a future question. <laughs> Rob fought now me. I want to talk. Won. Okay. So you and your flying wheel, wheel, whale, whales. So um, did you talk about your tropes? You did talk about the tropes. Right, but it's got hmm and then magic yes so what subgenres do you think your book fits into best um so if it's if it's epic fantasy there's an element of political intrigue and like i said uh some mystery as far as almost like detective fiction not quite but close if you've read the uh the jarek series by stephen bruce Mm -hmm. There is a flavor of that in this. And then, um, can you tell us a bit about the main character and what makes that character so special? Uh, well, he's special to me because basically he used to be uh, one of my old D&D characters. Um, I always played dual class, which you know, you never see enough of. Dual class is the way to go, if you ask me. Um, so yeah, about a thousand years ago, I played D&D um don't we all i know right um so it, so basically it's it's his take on things how how he i mean there's part of this book that's a police procedural almost um in that they're basically re evaluating a a murder scene and what the import is and what the clues really mean um so you know th that's a piece of it um what am i forgetting no pretty much those We'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so, do you, you have any about? secondary characters that uh, you particularly want to talk about that were memorable? Well, so the one people love to hate, there's a villain who will be there for a while. Um, his name's Avasar. He's one of several villains in it, and people love to hate him. Um, he's... he's I'm not going to go into the details of why, but once you get to know him, you'll hate him. Everybody does. Um, <laughs> he is an SOB, right? And and completely delusional in his perceived import. Hey, uh, some of the times those people are needed in this world. I know, right? Because you got to kill them. 
chop their heads off. Anyway, um, so and then so Rowan has a companion that's basically a little dragonette. Zilly is her name. Oh, um, yeah, she's cute, and and she's going to have a role that extends to the end of the series. That is sort of a a, a B story. So there's the meta story of throw the key the the ring into Mount Doom. But there's this side story that relates really just to Rowan, and she's a part of that. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. were you going to say something, Doc? Yeah, I was going to let you know it was your turn to talk. You finally have permission. <laughs> <laughs> you and I are going to have to have a long conversation about podcast etiquette when this interview is over. I'm going to have to put you in your place. But uh, they are, don't make me call your mom on you. She'll put you in time out. Oh, that's low. That's low. So uh, does your character have any bad guys that they confront that you can tell us about without giving spoilers besides Mount Doom? Uh, well, so yes, actually, Abasar is one. Um, he's he's a villain. And then there's also a demon goddess that wants to consume the world. Those are the, the major icky bad nasties. Uh, there is a hint of another entity at the beginning of this book um, that will come into play at some point but really it's it's one sort of power hungry lunatic and a demon goddess that has an appetite for blood ouch yeah i know right okay some people might say that's my uh, ex-wife nope. i wasn't gonna go there but uh speaking <laughs> of characters if uh if yours ever met you in a back alley uh knowing all the hell you've put them through in the the world you've destroyed etc how do you see that interaction playing out? How long uh, would it take them to kill you for, for everything you've done to them? Well, so Rellin would be pretty pissed off because I keep kicking him in the guts. I, I've wrecked most of his life. Um, and I'm, I'm fixing to literally tear the rest of the foundation apart. But he would be pragmatic about it because sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. That's um, So he would want to kill me, but he wouldn't. Because somebody's got to finish the story. That... I don't know. It's a shared universe. You might be able to get somebody else to finish it. <laughs> I have a rose garden. So uh, since we talked about characters, do you have a favorite character archetype when you write? Yeah, and I mentioned this before. Judge, jury, and executioner. Um, basically, I like to keep the lawyers out of it um, if I can. And I, I do also <laughs> have... I have an appetite for, I try and work at least one severed head into every book, which plays right into the judge, jury, and executioner. Um, have you talked to your shrink about this? No. His shrink is his publisher. His publisher says, bring it on. Yeah, give me another one, right? I have blood spurting more. So there's some of that too. All all right, so you you hinted at this a little bit in uh, an earlier question, but so let's take a le uh, peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage was made. Cue yeah. uh, inappropriate, uh, in immature jokes from Doc, but I'm going to cut her off. I'll mute her. So were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut? Dang, the mute button didn't take. Oh, wait, I gave her admin power. Dang it. Um, so were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to I know. Amateur move on my part. Were there any cool scenes or ideas that you had to cut? Um, from this book, could you elaborate on some of that? So there are two in particular, and and it, it pained me. But so Rob, who's our editor, also, he said, "Dude, you, this is too much. This is a brain dump, and stop it." And so part of it was there are these. I mentioned the flying whales. They're they're called ducals, 
<clears throat> and they are the there's a, there's only a few of them, but they actually are owned by a transport guild that has a monopoly that basically is they always are ball busting the king, and they hold him over a barrel and they get paid too much and he hates them, but he has to deal with them. They are a race called the Awari Ma, who are basically they look so the the kind of like kind of like the Skeksis I think they were from Dark Crystal. So there's these tall, gangly, bird-like creatures. Imagine a nightmarish big bird with, all, again, kind of an appetite for blood. They, they, they have this blood sport, and so they actually, so they're, they're covered in feathers, but they actually wear headdresses made from the feathers of their slain enemies that they kill in ritualistic combat in their society. <clears throat> I basically reinvented cockfighting, um, but with a twist. And so I have. And you this, did it just so you could say that you did that. Exactly. I so I I I that was in this book, and they literally are on stage for like a second and a half. And so I really couldn't justify keeping that part of the description in. I'm going to get back to it. I guarantee it. There, there's going to be a, 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 a cockfight in there at some point. Where one bird kills another and severs feathers and sticks. Them I in. believe in you, Quincy. I know, right? And then the other one was the Ducals. So they actually feed on this version of sky um, uh, krill. Basically, little bugs that fly around. They feed on the krill, which actually feed feed on um, what's called maverick iron, which is sort of the basis for magic. And so their poop is highly concentrated with this, it's called, uh, um, oh, we have a word for it. Anyway, it's, it's dust that you can use to enhance your magic, but it will also kill you. Pixie so dust, that basically, basically is, is magical. So I had to cut that so out. So it's so, magical so, poop? Exactly. Pixie dust. It's got pixie dust in it. We'll go with That's that. That's exactly what it is, oh. but it comes from sky whales. That is uh, oh, absolutely is awesome. And I'm going to have so much fun giggling about that. <coughs> yeah, so so just, just so you know, dear listener, if any of you are actually involved in the psychiatric profession and you want a new client, uh, his contact information will be at the bottom of this episode. <laughs> just reach out to and, uh, feel free. Feel free to reach out, you know, maybe, who knows. But uh, finally, <laughs> what can you tell us about the universe? So in many series, the worlds where the stories is told is as much a character as the antagonist or the protagonist. So what can we expect from this massive shared world? Um, well, multiple epic stories. That's the one thing we're really shooting for is we've got the five authors, one big meta story, but we'll also be writing side trilogies. Our cohorts will be writing their own standalone novels and trilogies. It'll basically be an unlimited uh, exploration of what is really from, you know, and people have loved what they've read so far. What is really, I think, I hope, is going to be a great property to play with. It's a great sandbox. Okay, so uh, Doc, you get to have fun, and I give you permission to talk now. Wait, I needed your permission? What the fuck show is this? This is not the JR show. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, we know book one is out. Yes. Um, and how many novels do you think you're going to end up seeing total in this? So, for Relin's storyline, there will be ten. Okay. Uh, right. So, there's the the first. We you know this first book sets the stage. There will be three more as part of the initial quadrology, 
that will evolve into the next stage of, of the storyline, which is a trilogy. Finally, there will be a final trilogy, and that from all five of the founders will be the culmination of all these characters coming together into, call it, for lack of a better word, a final D&D party. Um, so that's that's one thing. 50 books that are all part of the same meta story. But on top of that, then I'll be writing. I've got elves I'm going to be writing about that are part of the continent on Daemonon. I'll be writing about those those killer birds, right? And then there are other authors that will be not only writing standalone stories on this continent, but like Jamie Ibsen, his trilogy actually will tie right into Relin's story because Jamie's characters are basically going to end up assaulting my kingdom. Um, so okay. Of free play and what he's creating. We talk about it, we plot together, but it's really kind of his Bellowick. That is. A oh, I like that word. Thank you. Like the old school words. Oh, yes. It was like an $11 word. JR. You're so funny. What? What? It's not my fault you have a rudimentary understanding of vocabulary and colloquialisms. No, I just understand that some words fall out of fashion, and I appreciate people who bring them back. I don't think words fall out of fashion. Zilapia, let's take a ride. Hey, I still say groovy. I okay. Mean, cool beans, right? I get it. There it is. Oh, you All right, Doc. Okay. <laughs> Stop so talking about us like we're not right here. Of all the magic in your universe, which one would you want to use for daily use? Uh, uh, I'm going to say, well, what Rellin uses is called line magic. It's the most versatile. Okay. So how would you abuse it? Uh, Since it is the most versatile. <laughs> basically, I could do anything I want. <laughs> um, so, so you could actually create magical tattoos, binding contracts, you can make shit explode. You, I mean, you can do anything with it. Submit um, your book on time or it will blur it up. Your computer will blow up. No. <laughs> I feel attacked, Doc. What is this? It's your therapy okay, It was only hour. a year late, all right? It was only yeah. a year late. I don't want to hear anything. You know what? Nobody wants your excuses, JR. Just the book. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see what I put up with, Quincy? I know. Uh, it's, you want to it's rough. We can trade. I'll send her to your house, and you can come be our podcast host. You know what? Quincy would have a fabulous time, but he has a lot to wrangle because you heard 50 books. And um, let's face it, his wife is out of your league. <laughs> I, I, I'm not worried about all that. I just want you know to replace you as a podcast host because you've been so mean. <laughs> Dude, get over it. You have a therapist. Go talk to her about it. Oh, wait. She probably she likes you She wants too. to talk about... She probably does. She wants to talk about feelings and trauma. What the hell is that about? Just, I told just you, do what every sensible veteran has done since the dawn of time. I tell mine. Just tell your therapist what I tell mine, which is I'm allergic to that. I thought you that. ghosted yours. I thought you ghosted yours. No, I think she that's ghosted. what I should do. I think she ghosted me after the last time I told her I was allergic and I was having an allergic reaction. What was it Tim Allen once said? You just, like every responsible male, you just drink until your emotional problems manifest in a physical one that you could go to a real doctor for. You know what? I like being a woman, but when you say things like that, it makes me question if I should have been born a man. Pros and cons. 
you know, you, you win some, you lose some. So uh, your universe clearly has fantastical creatures in it. I'm stealing her question because she was too slow. So how did you go about creating these creatures? Did you let your nightmares inspire you? Did you have one too many tequilas and talk to Doc? She's weird like that. How did you come up with these, uh, these fantastical creatures? Um, so I'm, I'm actually kind of a, a hobbyist on, on flora and fauna, mostly flora. And so I kind of mix and match things, you know, to start with, and they've done a lot of this in the 4-H. You start with one thing, like start with a wolverine or a wombat or a, a pick an animal, and then just dial that up to 12 as if it had gone through a bad acid trip. <laughs> I mean, Doc, you work in a chemical plant. What, the, what are these acid trips like? Do you do them on a regular basis? <laughs> I work in a chemical plant, which means acids at my work are much different than what the colloquial term for acid means. She likes that word. It's, her, it's her calendar word of the day. I like colloquialism. <laughs> right. I can't spell shit, but I love the word. I like it too. I, I, I like it too. So we're good. We're good. All right. So I, I've got to ask, because I was, I was thinking about this as we've been talking about this interview. I know it's not on your, your schedule, so, so you couldn't prepare. But um, so most of the time, the shared worlds start with one series that uh, that is wildly successful and they try to build off that success. But nobody can write fast enough for these voracious readers like Doc who read like a, a book and a half a day. Yeah. No, uh, I listen to a so book and a half a day. I read it. potato. Like you a kindergarten, you let them read to you. This is why time. you have problems with your diet. You don't know the difference between a tomato and a potato. Wait a minute. Anyway, so <laughs> most of the time these start with wildly successful series that then yeah. they, the readers just want more. So they bring in other authors to sort of expand it uh, exponentially quicker. You're doing it the other way. You're starting with a shared universe and then saying, okay, now let's make it successful. Um, so what made you guys decide to approach it that way and not say finding someone who already wrote a successful base universe and then going from there? We, in a lot of ways, we had looked at what had been done with the Four Horsemen universe and why it was successful. Um, and and basically, we gambled, certainly. Uh, but there is, and if you look at the marketplace, especially, you know, we're going to be relying pretty heavily on, on Amazon and ebook sales, not exclusively, but... I'm sorry. If you can feed a book a month, you're almost, knock on wood almost guaranteed to develop a following that will that you can build on um i mean that's really the marketplace now and a lot of the smaller publishers who are making bank um they that's what they do is they and they have authors actually who do write a book a month i know several and you know the books aren't high quality but that's high quality is such a relative term basically if it fits the appetite of the marketplace and they buy it again and again, it's a good book. I mean, that's that's a, a sort of mercenary definition, but that's the that's kind of the, the, the business place that we live in these days when it comes to a lot of, of writing. Now, you still want to have good editing, et cetera, but we knew that we could actually at least put something, something out every month because there's enough people involved who are all kind of either vested or excited. Um, and we worked hard the past year to build that. So we did a lot of the, the groundwork to get people involved. And we're already starting to at least generate some interest the way we wanted to. And I posted a review tonight because it was exactly what I'm talking about here is a guy said, I can't wait for the next book next month. 
because he's interested, he's vested in the property. And that's what we've, when we are branding everything, that's what we shoot for is, is people knowing that there's going to be something new in some fashion from Eldros Legacy every month. There might be a couple of, of months where a new book doesn't come out, but an anthology will come out or the audio version of something comes out or whatever. So we're just going to keep feeding the beast and that's how you keep people engaged. And then they tell two friends and they tell two friends and so on and so on. Um, so hopefully uh, that's, so, that's so we're gambling. Roughly how long are these books? Because when we talk a book a month, not everybody reads a David Weber book a month, even David. Right. And not so, all the books are that long. He's the exception. I know, but what I'm saying is, like, give us a perspective of, are we talking, one second, here, for example, <laughs> are we talking this a month or this a month? So, it, it, the basically, all of the writers know that your your the window to hit is between 80 and 120,000 words. Okay, for just those of us who just read and don't count our words... How many rough pages is that? Are we talking like the 250, 350, or 450? It's basically in in a uh, trade paperback, mm -hmm. 350 to about 430-ish. Okay. I can be that specific because I do the book formatting. So about, <laughs> about 400 pages then roughly. Plus or minus. If you're looking at Because it. you would think after all my years hanging out with the authors and shit that I would be able to be like, okay, that's roughly this. And I'm still like, are we talking this thick, this thick, or this thick? I'm like, I'm just, it's like talking moles. Yeah, plus or minus 400. Bonus points to anybody in the audience who knows what a mole is. M-O-L. digs holes? No. Little like creature a likes holes. Mole. It's a, it's either a measure of energy or a measure of weight, and I can't remember which. It's a right? measure, sort of. So everything on the periodic table is listed in grams, but everything, but the grams of a mole are listed on the periodic table. So a mole is a unit of measurement, okay, and, and it has to do with how much of something is in there. But a mole of carbon weighs different than a mole of hydrogen, which mole of hydrogen is one point zero zero seven nine. Okay. Uh, unlike Doc, the rest of us just fell asleep with that chemistry lesson. <laughs> The only chemistry I need to know comes already pre-bottled with the label that says 100 proof. That's why you're allowed to make your own drinks. And I am. Yeah, nah, nah. All right. So uh, clearly this interview is winding down. Was there anything you wanted to tell us about Seeds of Dominion or this larger uh, universe that we didn't ask before we move on? Uh, I don't think so. I and mean, we, We've covered the ground. All I will say is people so far have really dug both books. And we're only getting started. So, right, it's, I think it's worth giving us a shot because we'll keep feeding the machine. <laughs> so for those of you who are book junkies, we, you now have a place to go. Yes. Again. <laughs> All right. So on that happy note, uh, we'll tell you in just a minute how you can go find him, stalk him as you would. Excuse me, investigate him thoroughly. Right. Uh, but before we before we do that, I'd like to harken back to our old show where we would remind you that if you are also readers like we are, then your reviews matter. So please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right reader find the right books. So 
Goodreads has a, a review platform. BookBub has a review platform. Amazon lets you do it. Even Barnes and Noble. Wait, no, they don't. Yes, they do. They let you review books. I just reviewed three of Jennifer Blackstream. So take that. Y yeah, <laughs> it's fun to wind her up about Barnes and Noble. I they, love Barnes and Noble. It's my hobby. Tonight. So, uh, so review the books, and if you can't review it there, start a website and review them on your website. I don't care. They are. You get your, your jollies through pain. Wow. Maybe I need some more therapy. But um, so, yes, yeah, speak your mind on the reviewing platforms, dear listener. Uh, so, Quincy, uh, as the aforementioned, uh, stalking should commence. But first, can you tell them how? Like, the, the novice stalkers don't know how to find you yet. Right. So the easy one for me is QuincyAllen.com because, you know, that's a hard one. Uh, and then the other one is, and we're, we're all pushing this pretty hard, LJosLegacy.com. And that will lead you to all the books that we're going to be producing. There's actually free fiction on there, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I, I did forget to mention, actually, we're, we're going to be doing its ebooks. There will be audio. We're going to have trade paperbacks, hardcovers. You can get to all of that from LJosLegacy.com. Um, that's the big one. Just like it says at the top of the book. <laughs> For those who can read. Right. Which is everybody here. No, I have the picture books. Excuse mm. me, manga. I'm joking. Now let all the people that just heard me say that, the weebs will picture come Picture books and, and manga are different, by the way. Same thing. Comics, manga, graphic novels, same, same. Uh, so send the hate mail to DocSesca at BlastersAndBladesPodcast.com. <laughs> Again, that's DocSesca at BlastersAndBladesPodcast.com. She loves it when you tell her she's wrong and how to do it better. She, she just uh, no, I love it when you tell me how wrong JR is, but that's <laughs> You could find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show for real at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. We do have to update the, uh, the signature line on that because mostly that's been Doc answering them. Uh, she's taken over a lot of the scheduling duties because apparently she has more friends than me. Uh, you can join us over on Facebook <laughs> where all the shenanigans happen at Blasters and Blades Facebook group, facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. You can follow us on our website at anchor.fm backslash Blasters Tech and Tech Blades. Again, that's anchor.fm backslash Blasters dash and dash Blades. You can also support the show there for a reoccurring basis, much like a Patreon model, for as little as 99 cents a month, again, at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Or you can support the show at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast. I promise I will keep my co-hosts, Doc Seska and Nick Garber, duly intoxicated. They will drink until their liver surrender. Never surrender! <laughs> Although I will have you say, we did discuss this pre-show, dear listener, and Doc has informed me that until he shows up more, all of the liquor budget for Grog goes to her until he's earned his portion. So keep yep. that in mind. You know you like me best. All right, Doc. <laughs> all right, but, oh, before 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 we wrap up, we have to ask him the most important question and see see if he's wrong or he's a heretic. So pineapple on pizza, yay or nay? Death before pineapple on pizza. Wait, what do you put you on your to come pizza back. then? Pardon? What do you put on your pizza then? 
Uh, so I'd actually put, because we make our own, uh, banana peppers and jalapenos and sausage and pepperoni and mushrooms and black olives and triple sauce, cheddar cheese. Okay. Ricky puts on capers. I don't really do that much. Pay, that sounds like, like a recipe for delicious gastro, gastro salt bombs for your or or for Jr's to understanding. They're like salt IEDs into your food. Exactly. Well, and that's why I go with the the heavy run. Don't go that well. Yeah. Okay. Pineapple on pizza is blasphemy. I though well, I like pineapple on pizza if only just because it makes Jr cry at night. <laughs> <laughs> All I can think of is the Joe it's Pesci true. meme. So, thank you for spending some of your precious time with us for, for me. the figment of Nick Garber, J.R. Hanley. I'm Seska. This is the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next time, next week, same time, same place. Indulging our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, things that go boom, torturing Jr. and seeing what other friends I can drag onto the podcast with me. Because <laughs> we know Jr. doesn't have any. No, this is true. This is true. Um, so the other part of that, dear listener, as we didn't mention, but if you have any good pineapple on pizza memes, yay or nay, I don't care what side, the Facebook group is the place to share them so we can torture each other as you do with your friends. And if you want to put the weird ones like where they put peeps on a pizza and then we can all agree to for a temporary Christmas truce while we slaughter the, the true heretics, I'm okay hey, with Hey, I need somebody who put cauliflower and broccoli on theirs. The enemy of Are you talking about the ones who my enemy is my friend? I totally get that. <clears throat> so is that the ones who use the fake crust because it's like a gluten thing? Is that what this is about? I think it was oh. a gluten thing in that case, but I think she would have done it even with the with the gluten. Actually, I have had one good cauliflower crust pizza. It happened. I was surprised, but it actually so happened. But only I have determined that the secret to doing a decent gluten-free pizza is make sure it is a thin crust pizza. Yes. And then it's crispy and it's like a cracker. Exactly. So who cares? Right. See? See, JR? Pizza alternatives do work. We, we've, we've come to a detente. And on that note, we shall end the podcast. <laughs>